right there. All right, so yes, Unshakable. Amazing book of Daniel. Ah, somebody's going to pass out those notes right now. Uh, Thank you, sir. Many years ago, I, uh, I went to a, a, a class at a little seminar that we, that, uh, we were at, and, and it was all about how to write um, drama or write skits or write stories, basically. And what are the elements of a story? And one of the things I remember the most about this little class that we did was that was how conflict is the, one of the most essential elements of any story. There has to be conflict. Any story, any, anything you'll ever see, a movie, a book, anything will have conflict. And... Um, I've noticed that in some books and some movies, the writers create this conflict that is so enormous and so large that just when you think it's impossible for the hero to get out of this situation, they, it, the situation gets even worse. And it's like, this is, there is just no way I can think how this hero could get out of this particular scenario. But then, in every story, there has to be the resolution. You have to resolve it. You can't leave people just hanging like that. The true story, the true account in Daniel chapter 2 that we're going to look at today, to me, reads like a movie script. And it has an absolutely impossible situation, humanly speaking. But at the end of the story, the hero emerges. And victorious. And the hero is God. And this is the most exciting thing about Daniel chapter 2. So we're going to go verse by verse today through uh, the first, first part of Daniel chapter 2. And then we're going to just going to wrap up with a couple great lessons from this passage of Scripture. Okay, so Daniel chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith... His spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. <laughs> I love that old uh, English. But have you ever been, have you ever had your spirit troubled and had your sleep break from you? <laughs> I think we all understand what that means. For some of us, that's a nightly occurrence. <laughs> you know, I'm, my sleep is constantly breaking. But in, in this case, the reason that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep, this great king of the known world, the, uh, the conqueror, the mighty conqueror Nebuchadnezzar, the reason he couldn't sleep is because old Nebi here was dreaming dreams. <laughs> dreaming dreams, plural. Dreams. This probably means that there was a reoccurring dream that he kept having night after night and it kept haunting him. It's the same dream, but he just kept having it. I'm sure this would be very haunting if every night... <clears throat> You were having and dreaming the same dream. Some of us might have had something along those lines, but, but uh, this, was, this was a big deal to Nebuchadnezzar. So this kept happening. These dreams kept happening until Nebuchadnezzar had had enough. Verse 2. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Magicians. A magician was an engraver, uh, literally, or a writer. 
or we could call them a diviner in, in the sense here, uh, in the context here. You might call, we might call this kind of a person these days a horoscoper. Uh, they would be educated per- people, educated men who wrote and preserved the royal records in Babylon, but they were also the diviners in the, in the occult world. <clears throat> the astrologers, similarly, were the enchanters. They're going to use astrological charts uh, or the magical design of the stars to, uh, to interpret what's happening in this world, or interpret dreams in particular. Uh, Sorcerers, as it says here, sorcerers are those people who practice witchcraft. They used incantations to communicate with the spirit world or with dead people. So, So they thought. Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are interesting, and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans are mentioned here, and they weren't mentioned in Daniel chapter 1, but the Chaldeans were a special higher class of wise men or uh, or priests who studied the stars and studied horoscopes in order to predict the future. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar gathers these, uh, these occultic uh, people, uh, these people that really were into uh, all those things that those Middle Eastern people would get into. And the point is, though, the Nebuchadnezzar is calling all them and he's bringing out the very best that Babylon had to offer. Uh, the, the very best in his known world because he needed an answer for these dreams that he kept having. These reoccurring dreams. And here's what he says to them. The king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. And my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Now I want you to notice the fear and the troubling of Nebuchadnezzar's heart here. That's something to note because people without the Lord are going to constantly be troubled in the spirit by things that they don't have an answer for. Nebuchadnezzar was searching for an answer, and he couldn't quite put his finger on it. And boy, did that trouble him. And the people we come in contact with every single day are Nebuchadnezzar's, and they're walking around, and there's something troubling them that they can't put their finger on. They don't have an answer to. And they're looking and seeking. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac. Uh, or in Aramaic, as we call it now. And here's what they said. O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So now one, one little note here. From this point in the book of Daniel, all the way until the end of chapter 7, the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic and not in Hebrew. Daniel is an interesting book. It's written partly in Hebrew, partly in Aramaic. Aramaic is the common language of Babylon. Now, why exactly would Daniel do this? Why would Daniel break it up like this? Well, I'm probably, most likely, is that God wanted Daniel to write it this way so that the everyday Gentile Babylonian who would ever pick up this scroll and who would ever read the story of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel with the kings would begin to read it in their own tongue, and they would begin to understand something about this amazing God of the Jews. They would start to see what this, this strange God that they had never heard of, maybe, the things that he could do. Interesting how God put this together. But anyway, well, we, we see here that the advisors, they answer back to the king, and they say, King, no problem, tell us the dream, and, uh, and we'll tell you the interpretation. 
Basically, you tell us the dream, we're going to go check our little dream manuals that we have, all the writings from all the great magicians and all the astrologers, and we're going to check our astrological signs, we're going to look at everything, we're going to put it all together, and then we're going to bring you an answer. But the king, apparently, did not trust them. And he didn't want another one of those kinds of answers. I don't want a drummed up answer. I want truth. I want, I want what's really going on. So the king answered here and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. And I'll explain that in a moment. I'll, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, make known the dream and the interpretation thereof, you should be cut in pieces. And your houses shall be made a dunghill. <laughs> now, most Bible scholars say that the phrase, the thing is gone from me, is referring to the decree that, uh, that he's making here, not the fact that he forgot his dream. Nebuchadnezzar hadn't forgotten his dream. And how would he know how to answer them uh, if they were right or wrong, depending on what they, what they brought? He obviously knew the dream. In other words, what he's saying here is, my words have already gone out from me. Uh, what I'm going to do if, uh, if, if you don't give me the, the answer that I'm looking for. If you don't give me the dream and the interpretation, I've already made the statement. I've already made the decree. You know what's going to happen. And if you don't do that, what I said, you're going to be body parts. <laughs> <laughs> and interesting here, you know, for these guys, these magicians, these astrologers, you know, life in Babylon can be very cushy, <laughs> be very nice until the dictator gets into a bad mood. And but this brings up again something else to remember here. One scholar said it this way. When tyrants suffer from bad dreams, you know, God is at work. When tyrants suffer from bad dreams, you know, God is at work. You know, God has his ways of dealing with kings and tyrants and dictators uh, and I think dreams are one way that God influences the influencers. Today in the West here, we don't put much weight into dreams. But dreams are still a huge and meaningful thing to this, especially the Middle Eastern mind, even today. And that's, you know, back then Nebuchadnezzar and all these guys, man, dreams were a huge deal. And even now, dreams are a huge deal. Many Muslims today, Muslim parts of the world, they talk about dreams that they've had of Jesus. And these dreams, and I've heard them talk about them, these dreams talk, uh, cause them all kinds of turmoil and all kinds of problems throughout the day. They're in their brains and in their hearts uh, until they finally accept Jesus as, as their Savior. Now, obviously, we need to be very careful. We don't rely on dreams for truth, of course. You know, only Scripture can give us truth. But dreams, let's be very clear here, dreams can be from God. Dreams can absolutely be from God. But here's the warning. We need to be very careful. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 25 to 32, you can jot that down and look at it later. But Jeremiah spoke about false dreams. And God was very upset there in Jeremiah with the, with the prophets for having these dreams and then they would come and tell the people the, the dreams that they had, like somehow they, these dreams were fact. And God got very, very upset with them. God was angry. 
So there, there is such a thing as false dreams. We never base any of our beliefs on a dream that we had. Or, and I love what some people have said. Don't believe everything you think. <laughs> don't believe everything you think and don't believe everything you dream. That's for darn sure. Okay. But in this case, in this case, God is using a dream. And God is using a dream to get a leader's attention. And God will do that when nobody else can, uh, can impact a, a person or get to that level to touch one of these leaders, God can. And Nebuchadnezzar, being known for his brutality, was demanding that his magicians recall the dream and give the interpretation, or I'm going to cut you up. And he was willing, but he was willing also to reward them if they could accomplish this amazing feat. So here we go, verse 6. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you, will, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Verse 7. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. <laughs> this this kind of made me laugh. I, I feel like these guys are really gutsy. To repeat exactly the same thing they just said, say the, the exact same thing to this king who already has threatened to chop them up into pieces. You're going to say the exact same thing, but I guess at this point it can't get any worse for them, can it? The threat has already gone out. Um, show, king, show us the dream. Tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. We told you that once. We'll tell you it again. Uh, wow. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time. Because you see the thing has gone from me. And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I know what you're doing. You're wasting time. You, I, because you already know what I've said. I've, this, this is, I've already said it. I shouldn't have to say this again and again. You're just wasting time with me. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I don't want fluff. I don't want junk. <laughs> I don't want junk science. <laughs> I want the real thing. And, and I see through you guys. Give me something truthful. Give me something real. Verse 9, but if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Till I, you're just hoping I'll change my mind, basically. I, you, you're going you're gonna to speak to me lies, and you're going to try to speak to me corrupt things. You're going to spin my dream, uh, and you're just going to hope that I'll change my, my mind. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know. That you, should, that you can show me the interpretation thereof. Now, I want to just say here, I hear when I read this about Nebuchadnezzar, and I just kind of look a little deeper, to me, I just see the, the cry of an honest unbeliever here. An unbeliever who is done with the rhetoric and done with powerless answers from the Babylonian philosophy. And I think there's a reflection of that in a lot of people today. I think people are sick of the world not having real answers. The Bible talks about ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. People want something with teeth. They want something real. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, sometimes it takes something uh, like a deeply disturbing dream or some emotional event in their life to shake them and to help them see the emptiness of all the answers that they've been fed and all the things that they've been, been given for so long. And this is why missionaries in the workplace and missionaries in neighborhoods are so important. This is why we, as the people of God, are so vital 
that we be out among, the, among people and among unbelievers because when, when they need us, we need to be ready. I remember a few times uh, getting into some real talks with some of the people that I worked with as a young man. And there was one young guy about my age who was going through some things in his life with his girlfriend, you know, and to him it was the end of the world, this stuff he was going through with his girlfriend. But I remember one particular day because the night before he, he said, I went and saw this movie. And he came back to the next day, he was talking about his eyes were just kind of big. And he asked me this question, he said, do you think someone else is in control of the world? And not us. And he was just like, what movie did you watch? I have no idea. Um, But he was just just kind of tripping out on all this stuff. But is that not a lead-in for the gospel or what? I was like, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I do think someone else is in control. And I witnessed to him that day. And um, eventually... Uh, at a different day, I was able to lead him to the Lord. He prayed with me to accept Jesus. Now, I know, I know many people are sick of what they keep hearing from the world. It's just, they, they see through it, I think, like Nebuchadnezzar. But this is why we are planted in their lives. We are their Daniel. We are the Daniel for the, for the people that we're around, the unbelievers. They may not always get saved right at the moment, but we need to tell the truth. We need to be real and genuine and have something to offer. Now back to our story. The conflict here is building. Nebuchadnezzar said, if you can tell me my dream, then I'll know that you can give me an honest interpretation. So just tell me the dream that I had. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. (laughs) Therefore, There is no king, lord, or ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. This is above our pay grade. Verse 11, or verse 11, here it is. And it is a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other than other that can show it before the king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. On that they are right. It is only God who truly can show the matter here. But in other words, these guys are saying, you're asking us to do something that is utterly impossible, King. It is utterly impossible. And no one has ever asked that of of us. But And that's exactly, though, this is so beautiful. God is putting the story together. He's building the conflict, helping us see the reality of what's really happening. And that's exactly how God wants the story to play out. He wants everybody to see how impossible it is for the world to give real answers. It's utterly impossible for someone who does not have the truth to truly give the things that matter. I love this. Verse, or, uh, Dale Ralph Davis said this, By depicting the helplessness of paganism, the writer wants to say, Don't you see? Paganism is nothing but a cul-de-sac. It can give no sure word out from outside. He is telling exiled Israel that there is no need to be awed by paganism, despite its trapping and splendor, for it is nothing but empty and dark. Man, that is so good. I love this. Paganism is nothing but a (laughs) cul-de-sac. It leads nowhere. The stuff that the world has to offer just leads and goes in a circle and a circle and a circle and a circle. 
And this is the pagan philosophy of today. On the campus of Yale University, a place that's training some of the brightest young minds today, there is an impressive sunken garden, they call it, in front of one of the libraries. And it's meant to simulate the universe. A lar- there's a large marble, uh, py- a marble pyramid that stands in one corner. And that symbolizes time. Another corner has this huge donut-shaped structure that's uh, standing on its side. And that signifies energy. So you have time and you have energy. And in the third corner, there's a huge die. And it's perched on a tip as if any moment it could topple on any, any which way. And nobody knows which way it's going to topple. And it's the symbol of chance. <clears throat> That's the worldview of modern man. We, we live in a self-existing universe that consists of energy and time and chance. No one knows which way the die will fall. Life's all about chance. It's the world of whatever. Who knows what's going to happen? We're just going to kind of go along and just whatever happens, happens. How miserable. That is a miserable way to live and a miserable worldview. And and to think that that could dictate my life. That that somehow could give me hope. Time, energy, and chance. These things are God to the world. But a biblical Christian understands that this this whole thing's a lie. That is not true. That's not what God says. And it's not biblical at all. We know that God orders the course of history. God orders the universe. He makes nations rise and he makes nations fall. He has a kingdom set up someday forever for his people to live in. And he, he is the one who's in control of all things. Amen. And we know that. But it's not because we're brilliant or we have some insight and we came up with that all on our own. It's revealed to us in the word of God. So we can walk confidently in the future. A believer can say, I can be confident in tomorrow. I, it's not like a die is about to fall and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm fearful. No, we walk confidently because we know God's in control of my future. And un, Unlike the pagans, we're not going to end up in a cul-de-sac. And here are the mus- magicians, the sorcerers of Babylon. They're forced to admit that they have nothing. They're They're forced to admit their inability. King, what you're asking us to do is utterly impossible. We've never been asked this. There's no way we can do this. It's impossible. We cannot do this. It's impossible to know what your dream was. Daniel Daniel 2 verse 12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious. What good are you guys if you can't even do this? What good is your philosophy if you can't do this? And he commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Now notice that Daniel, for some reason, wasn't among the advisors in the first group. He wasn't there when he wasn't one of the first ones called. And it was most likely because this was early in Nebuchadnezzar's reign and it because it happened probably right after Daniel's graduation. <laughs> Remember, he was in a three-year graduation or three-year education program, and he had just graduated, and he's probably still a little young. So, how would Daniel, this young eighteen to nineteen-year-old now probably, respond to the king's decree that he's going to die with all the other advisors? 
Daniel, I just want to let you know that um, you had a nice ride. <laughs> you finished your education, but you're going to, you're, you're dead. And uh, I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. But as we learned in the previous chapter, Daniel wasn't just an ordinary young man. Daniel wasn't like other people. Verse 14. And then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, calmly, with tact and wisdom, speaks to the guy who was put in charge of killing him. And again, Daniel, I'm so impressed. He has such wonderful people skills. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. So this nice, calm question, hey, why is the decree so hasty? Can you just give me a quick answer here? Obviously, there was more to this conversation. It had to go on a little longer because the next scene that we're going to see is Daniel being granted an audience with the king himself. And this goes to show you, though, the respect that Daniel had already garnered at his young age with the people in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. The captain of the guard, who's in, who's, whose job it is to kill him. <laughs> uh, sorry, Daniel, I've got to take your head. Uh, you know, why, why, why? Hold on one second, real quick. Real quick talk. Let's just have a little quick powwow, and then, you know, we'll get on with it. <clears throat> uh, but everybody knew they could trust Daniel. You, you want to talk to the king? You know what? There is something special about you, Daniel. I trust you. All right, I'll, I'll, we'll get you in there to talk to the king. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. So David requests some time and he would then return. King, give me a little bit of time. I promise I'll come back with with your interpretation, including the dream. As Daniel goes home, we get to really see now what he's made of. What would be the first thing Daniel would do as he leaves the, the presence of the king now? Then Daniel went to his house, that's a good first move, and made the thing known to Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Why did he make it known to them? Well, that they would desire the mercies of God, of heaven, concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He says, guys, he calls for everybody. He says, guys, listen, it's time to start praying. (laughs) We have got to seek the Lord. The conflict here at this moment is at its peak. We're dead men. We're walking dead men. If we don't have an answer to this secret that no one could tell, no one could know what's inside of his mind and inside of his dreams. And we have a few hours to come up with the dream or it's death for all of us. So he does the only thing he knows to do. He begs God for mercy. Just pray in faith. Guys, that's the only thing. And boy, don't you see Daniel's heart here? Yes, he's a man of character. Yes, he's a man of respect. Yes, he is a man of wisdom and, and intellectual ability and, and people skills. But here is his heart, because when it comes down to it, he says, I have to seek the Lord. I, that's the only answer truly to this, to this uh, life. A.W. <clears throat> Tozier said, whatever God can do, faith can do. And whatever faith can do, prayer can do. When it is offered in faith. An invitation to prayer is, therefore, an invitation to omnipotence. For prayer engages the omnipotent God and brings him into our human affairs. 
it's impossible. Well, then let's pray. <laughs> because God does the impossible. It, this is no, there's no way we can get through this. So then let's pray. Because God can do that. The situation now, after he prays, is in God's lap. God wants it to be known to every reader who would ever read this in Daniel, that when you're in a situation that's too big, too much for a human to accomplish, you call your friends and you pray. Leave it in God's lap. This is the flare prayer ministry right here. But I want to take a second to consider this. Think about this. God could have revealed the dream to Daniel before he prayed. God could have done that. God's sovereign. He could have taken care of this. Daniel could have just been right as he was going in to first see the king. He could have just, boom, put it in Daniel's mind and Daniel could have spit it out. But God waited to give it to him until after he prayed. This is how God often works. Even in this whole balance of sovereignty and and prayer. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. But he often wants to wait until we seek him before he'll then work and he'll release the answer. He wants us to be involved and get a blessing. He wants us to be able to truly, really see clearly the hand of God in our life. And Malachi chapter 3, you know, says, Prove me, saith the Lord. Prove me. Go ahead, test me. Come on and watch and see what I'll do. So here's, that's the lesson here. Grab a promise from the word and pray it back to him. Leave it in his lap. And this is where the hero of the story begins to emerge. God is the hero. Verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Let's notice once Daniel gets the answer, he doesn't run to Nebuchadnezzar right away. Say, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Daniel stops to bless the God of heaven. He blesses the God of heaven. To bless literally means to kneel in praise to God. We can't forget this part of the process, praise. This is a whole part of this whole thing that that God wants for us. We pray, we seek the Lord, He gives an answer. Praise is part of this. When God worked, when God has worked in your life, how could you be silent? When God has rescued you from death like He has Daniel here, how could you stop from praising Him and thanking Him? You know, I see people in a church service sometime, in a worship service, looking like God has never done anything for them. And I wonder, where is the praise Thank that's you. due to God who saved your life, who rescued you from a killer. Talk about it. Anyone who has been rescued from hell ought to have something to bless the God of heaven about. So Daniel, kneeling down, kneeling down to bless the God of heaven, he cries out these words, and we actually have his praise right here. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. Let me stop there. Political turnover is in God's hands. (laughs) This week in the inauguration week, that's a good thing to hear. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. This is Daniel's song right here. And we already found out that. That the world cannot reveal the deep and secret things. But God does. And we're confident today because God has revealed the deep and secret things to, about his kingdom to us. About the future. 
So we're going to talk about Revelation today. Man, when, when we hear the message today about Revelation, we ought to just rejoice. We ought to be so excited about the future that God's revealing the secret and dark things to us. We know where we're headed. We know what's to come. Verse 22, And I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who, has, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. So this is just such a wonderful, specific word of praise. And I think we ought to praise God specifically for the things he's done in our life. It's God who make this known. And God is the hero of the story. He's the one we all need to be seeking right now and praising right now in the middle of our Babylon. And when we need to know a secret. And let me just ask you this morning, what secret do you need to know? What secret? Do you need to know what what situations do you need discernment in, in your life right now, in your family? What decisions are you facing where you need God to reveal some of the hidden things so that you can make a wise decision? He can do it in a dream, through his word, in your prayer time. He is the revealer of secrets, as we just saw. He is the revealer of secrets. Therefore, Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch... Oh, where are we at? I'm sorry, I'm behind. I apologize. Here we go. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. And said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives. Like he, he takes credit. I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. <laughs> and I love just how simply it's just a man of the captives of Judah. It's just, it's just a man of the captives of Judah. No one special, but he has a special God. <laughs> Daniel's really not all that special. The hero is God. He has a special God. Verse 26, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Notice how Daniel builds the drama now, real quick, here for Nebuchadnezzar, so that Nebuchadnezzar knows in his head it's unmistakable what's really happening. Verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. <laughs> he could have just went launched right into it, but he had to say this, didn't he? None of your guys could do it, could they? Could they? But, but there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. Man, what would happen if I was a Pentecostal right now? I'd start running around the room. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. So king, while you were, in, while you were on your bed, God was in your head. And he knows where you sleep, king. You can't escape the God of heaven. I'll tell you that right now in verse 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. It's incredible that God would speak to a pagan Gentile king in his sleep. 
I, God, why? That's interesting, God. He's not a believer, but you're going to speak to him in his dreams. But God can do whatever he pleases. So very quickly, here's some incredible lessons that I just want to sum up real quick. Two glaring realities in Daniel chapter 2. Number one, the contrast between God's wisdom and man's. Let's just think about that. Pagans are driven by fear and they're darkened in their minds by ignorance versus a God that revealeth secrets and maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. That's the contrast. We live in a world where they just don't know and they live in fear. And we have a God who knows and gives hope. Who would you rather follow? And that's uh, in a world, it's just about time, energy, chance. But God, there's a God who secures your future in heaven by coming to die on a cross and rise again from the dead and make sure you have a home forever. We can go into any future, no matter what happens tomorrow with a God like that. And the second great lesson, I think, is, that the, is to see the reality is to see the involvement of God on behalf of those who pray. This was an impossible situation. But God heard Daniel's prayer. And he heard the cries for mercy of his friends. And God hears our prayers today too. Let's not, let's not forget that. And in particular, this story of God dealing with Nebuchadnezzar in his dreams makes me think of this. I wonder what God is doing in the hearts and the minds of the people that we are praying for. The unbelievers that we're, we're concerned about, those wayward people who are away from the Lord right now, and we're praying and asking God, I wonder what kind of dreams God is giving them. I wonder what God is saying to them when they're laying on their beds. And this is why, this is why we have to keep praying for them. Daniel, Daniel prayed and God answered his Friends prayed and God answered, we have to keep praying and bringing it into God's lap. Don't stop praying for that person. Don't stop. Don't stop. God can speak to Nebuchadnezzar. He can speak to them. Father, we love you. We thank you Lord, for your word. Thank you for this amazing book of Daniel, this amazing story that reveals that you are the hero. And Lord, we can come to you. We love you. We honor you. And Lord, we want to just, uh, just get into the word even in even greater ways follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, everybody. Lord bless you. You are an amazing oh. man. You know that? <laughs> Love you, brother. That's my friend, Joseph Vignette.